Hi again, everyone, and welcome to episode 99 of Three Point Podcast. The three of us are going to dive into the sports scene, including the college football playoffs. We're going to come at you with three hot takes, three different generations. Our triple threat includes Jared Fattel of Grand Valley State University and Fox 17 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Also, Matt Burns of ESPN in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm Ted Fattel of Sportsnet Michigan and Z92.5, the castle right here in our mid-Michigan Three Point Podcast studios. Our partners include the Corona Connection, Card Service Michiana, Rivals Taphouse and Grill, Sheridan Auction Service, and Promec Engineering. Our Sportsnet Michigan Radio Network teammates include Sports Radio Detroit and WJSZ. Give us a follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and all the other big podcast hosting sites. You can also hit us up with your comments and questions on social media at 3PointPod. And tonight we're going to be joined by our good friend, a multiple appearance here by Penn State, former Penn State football player and college football broadcast analyst, Reggie Walker. And by the way, give him a follow at rwalk13. We're going to have all kinds of fun. Get it rolling right after these important messages. Rivals Tap House and Grill is the area's go-to spot for the best in food and drink. Meet up with your friends and catch your favorite sporting events on over 20 high-def flat-screen TVs. And our 120-inch projection screen. Rivals can handle your large or small parties and is an awesome spot to put on your fundraising events. Weekly food and drink specials including gourmet burgers, wings, pizza, homemade soup, and salads. Rivals also stocks a large selection of craft and domestic brews. Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official gathering spot of three-point podcast located on the corner of Shiawassee and M21 in Corona. 85, 90, 95, 100. Looking for items to buy or sell? Look no further than SheridanAuctionService.com. We will solve your problem. Bring Sheridan Realty and auction your items and we will market them all over the country and get them sold. If you are looking to buy items, we can help with that too. Call today, 989-720-SELL. It's fast, easy, and we get results. SheridanAuctionService.com. Buy or sell, we'll get it done for you. Call 989-720-SELL. You'll do better with Sheridan. All right, guys. You can hear it. Celebration by Cool <laughs> and the Gang. I didn't know who, who sang that song earlier until I put it up earlier today. It's a big day in sports gambling. It has officially been legalized in the state of Michigan. It was passed on a 9-0 to vote in legislation. How about us getting into politics today? And all indications show that this will be officially through on December 19th. And, guys... This is probably my favorite day of all time. I love it. Pretty soon, we're going to be having Buffalo Wild Wings with, with I think, this is how, this is like my dream world I'm picturing. Buffalo Wild Wings with betting areas where you can just go and place a bet right there. You have gas stations where you can go in and get a betting slip. I can't wait. It's official. This is actually happening. Like, pinch me, am I dreaming? Well, see, that that's what I'm curious about. So I don't know if, I don't know if either of you have read all the details, because I haven't. I've just read the headlines. Because, yeah, I saw that, and... So is it going to be like that? Like, will, will there be just basically bookies or whatever you want to say, machines in Buffalo Wild Wings, in Town Tub, downtown Corona, you know, wherever? Or will you actually have to go, will it be like, a, you know, like a sports book, you know, at a casino or something like that? I think probably it's going to take a couple years before it really takes hold. I mean, I'd love to know that uh, Soaring Eagle Casino in Mount Pleasant is breaking ground on a sports book as we know, but I doubt that's the case. I mean, things like this tend to move at a snail's pace. But the thing is, I don't think it's going to be at, like, a gas station. I, don't, I think that might be a stretch. I think it's probably just going to be at the casinos. I think Detroit will probably be the first place that will have this. But, 
even if that's all we get, I mean, wow. Just think of, just imagine Ted on a, a nice summer weekend, him taking his, taking the boys up for a nice trip at the sports book, him taking a hotel and just having a great weekend during March Madness. Whenever it is, it, I just can't wait. I could see a three-point podcast recording from something like that. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? That'd be awesome. And yeah, I mean, definitely think about that. If Say if there are only certain sites, like say Grand Rapids has a big one, or yeah, Detroit obviously at the um, at the casinos downtown Detroit. Think about the business that that'll bring in. If people know that that's kind of one of the main spots they can go, go catch a Tigers game, go play some bets, or go catch a Lions game, you know, whatever, play some bets, go get some food or whatever. That it's actually like it's pretty exciting. You know, there's always you know as long as people don't like get like out of control with it and ruin their lives or whatever. That's always the, the thing that people say, but. Place a few bets, make some money. It's fun. Well, I got to believe somebody's already geared up for it. I mean, you know, they just passed the legislation about uh, legalizing marijuana. And, you know, three companies down in Ann Arbor, they were ready to go when they got the green light December 1st. And believe it or not, I mean, it's been, I got a friend that went down there to, to sample the goods, if you will. He waited <laughs> out. Quote, unquote, a friend. <laughs> he waited in line outside before he could get in the store five hours five hours why i don't understand that five hours why not just wait until the next day and then go why not just go to your regular dealer (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's funny you say that because i i I meant to bring that up uh when we're at some point today when we're talking and the article i'm looking at it's an m live article and the main picture is a line outside of a, a shop of people waiting to buy their their weed and the headline is $1.6 $1.6 million in marijuana sales in the first week of recreational. Yeah, think of that. And there was also, there's also the side businesses. I saw a guy, a pizza delivery guy, 10 buck pizzas, pepperoni pizza. He was, he had them all in the back of his, his car, you know, selling them in line. What a great idea. Now that, that's where you want to sell you, it afterwards. I tell you what, you know a lot about this opening day thing to have not been participating i mean you know the pizzas were there what the price of these pizzas were how long the person waited hey don't ever you you either you have a great uh inside source or you may or may not have been this you know don't ever accuse me of not doing my homework you know that's what it's all about (laughs) the sales trip (laughs) that's right but you know you know i want to jump back real quick you know do you really think uh it's going to be limited to early on to just maybe the uh, casinos because I could envision you know you go into any bar and they have what's what's that lotto game where you they have all the numbers Kino? yeah Kino. why wouldn't why wouldn't they have like a little stand where you can just uh, you know place your bets just like you do on the lotto I would say well why I would say that's probably not going to be happen because I don't know the rules or however you want to word it, but wouldn't it make kind of the, the whole point of a casino pointless if you could just be placing these bets wherever? Yeah. You would never make the trip out to the casino. So yeah, I like you're probably right. Some sort of rule that would keep that from happening. But we can we can, we can, can dream. I did a little more, more uh, homework on Ann Arbor instead of this, so I'll, <laughs> I'll be more prepared next time. <laughs> one, one question I do have, and I, I don't think we have the answer to it. Could I metaphorically just open up a – like sports book in Shiawassee County, or is there rules to it where it has to stay within the casinos? Or and again, I don't think we know the answer to that, but I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, because it would be cool, right? Imagine just well, going there, down there, to there's a, you know, as far as I thought, the only way you could have a casino was on a Native American reservation, right? That's mm-hmm. that's currently the way it is. Yeah, right. So there's there's a uh, a bar, and I maybe have told you guys this before, but there's a bar in Connecticut that we used to go to. It was about 40 minutes away from 
Bristol, but we would go there because it was an awesome bar, really cool outdoor patio and stuff. But they had an um, uh, sports book in the bar, and as far as I know, I don't think that was on like a Native American reservation. So hmm. I don't know if Connecticut had different rules or something like that. But maybe we should ask our our friends at Rivals if if they've caught any wind of this because I would think I mean I know they have Kino at Rivals. Yep. So I would think if they can get you know a sports book or whatever you want to call it, they would want to do that. So what are the rules? Isn't it if you are like a riverboat casino, if you are on water, you can also be gambling? I don't know. No, you're. I think you're out of our ass. I don't. We don't really know. I think you are right on that. There are riverboat uh, casinos that are not run by the Native Americans, so I think that's the other loophole. You know. Yeah. And obviously Actually, Vegas. Now, now that I'm thinking about it, that place in Connecticut, it wasn't necessarily a sports book. It was just off-track horse horse race betting. Okay. So it, you couldn't bet on, like, uh, basketball or whatever. It was just horse races. Right. And those are all over the place. Right, right. Yeah. Well, it's going to be fun, and I know, Jared, you're going to be our, our resident expert on it. So, you know, you can do a little you homework think on that. You, might, you, might, you, you won't dabble, you don't think? Oh, no, I'll definitely dabble, for sure. I got a feeling you'll dabble a little bit more. We'll see. Think we'll we'll see. I, I just... It'll be, you know, you hear about those people that just every year say their team's the Lions, say their team is the Cubs, you know, whatever. Every year they just throw, you know, five or ten bucks down on their team sure. to win the championship, even if you know that it's not going to happen. But maybe that one year it does. They'll make that easy. If you can just walk into Rivals, grab some pizza pucks or something, and throw ten bucks down on the Lions to win the Super Bowl, it would be kind of cool. I mean, I, I do know this. Michigan football would cost me maybe thousands of dollars <laughs> by the time my life was over. Every year. <laughs> this is the year they do it. This is the year they do it. And every year we would be wrong. Well, you know, the last time we talked about Michigan football, obviously we had a chance to do some venting on that uh, butt-kicking against Ohio State. And I, I've been very curious to get the young fella's opinion on, let's just start with Michigan and the bowl picture and the college football playoffs, but let's start with the Wolverines. What were your initial thoughts uh, when you heard they're going to take on Alabama, and have they changed, or are they the same? My initial thoughts was I was very nervous. We're going to get our butt whooped. But then I honestly thought about this. This is the perfect win-win scenario for both the Michigan program and for the Michigan fans. One, there is not a better situation to play this Alabama program. They have never been lower. They're missing Tua. They're going to have a few players sitting out for the draft. There's never been a better time to play Alabama. And I know that people are going to say, even if we do win, hey, like they don't have their full roster. But something mentally inside of the players, like when you beat Alabama, it's kind of like when you beat the Patriots. They're not as good as they have been in the past. But when you beat Alabama or the Patriots, it, there there is something to that where it's going to change how you look at yourself and how you look at your program. Secondly, if we do end up losing to Alabama, this is a, or we get our butt whooped more likely, this is a great wake-up call for this program because I do think a lot of people, and we actually talked about it on the last podcast where it just kind of seems against Ohio State to play here or a play there. If Shea doesn't fumble or if our defense just played a little bit better for some reason against Ohio State every year, we just don't figure it out. I think that if we end up getting blown up by Alabama, that's a great wake-up call to everyone that, hey, this isn't just an Ohio State problem. This is a we-are-not-good period problem so i think it's a win-win for, for no matter whether we win or lose yeah i saw you say that on twitter and I, I get what you're saying there but i guess my point with the whole like the wake-up call thing and yeah they're they're definitely especially right after the game and i kind of had those feelings a little bit too after the ohio state game man if a few plays could have gone our way might have been different 
But now, like having, you know, whatever, a couple weeks after the game actually looked at it, you can clearly see that Ohio State is a clear step, a clear tier above Michigan. I don't think, like, there's a – there's a wake-up call that an ass-whooping from Alabama that would be like I don't I don't think that Michigan would see themselves as oh yeah we need to start doing doing things differently just because we lost to Alabama I think if they lose Alabama they're in the same spot they were after getting whooped by Ohio State I get your point but I think most people who watch that Ohio State game and don't have the maize and blue blinders on see that Ohio State is at a different level than basically everyone in the Big Ten but you know, I, I'm kind of with you, though, and the, on the other side of the coin that, you know, we, we've talked about before, these bowl games being meaningless and unless you're in the college football playoff, and I do still feel that way. But if there's, if there's a way to make a meaningless bowl game mean something, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's playing Alabama, even if this is Michael Jordan at the end of his career or something like that. Yeah, this would be huge for Michigan to get the 10 wins after starting off the season the way that they did beat Alabama, beat Nick Saban for Harbaugh, especially to get a win over Nick Saban, get that big bowl win over an SEC team, even if Alabama's down. That is still huge. Alabama is still, even if they're not in the college football playoff, they're still up there on Ohio State's level, even if they're a little down this season. So, no, this, this is a huge game, and if you want to motivate some guys to play in a bowl game, this is the way to do it. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, I'm just totally intrigued by the Harbaugh Saban matchup and storyline leading up to January 1st. And look, if you're not going to be in the college football playoff and you're the Wolverines and a Wolverine fan, what team out there is the team you really want to play, or at least you really want to watch them play against on New Year's Day? And it's hands down Alabama. It, it, it is. This is gonna. It's gonna be a great wake up call. Whether it's going to be a positive wake-up call for us, like, hey, we're really not that far off, or if it's going to be, we are so far off. We need to reset everything that we're doing and just kind of reset our expectations for next year. That's what this game is going to do for us. I don't know if there was another team that would have got my juices pumping for this Michigan Bowl game after that Ohio State loss, as defeated as we were. But this this actually does it. Alabama, yeah. somehow playing Alabama, it, does, it makes me excited for this game. It's like playing any of the greats at the end of their, you know, like – like I said, it's like playing Michael Jordan, even if he was at the end of his career. It's still Michael Jordan. You know, you still want to play your best game. Or when guys would play Kobe at the end of his career, you know, it was the same thing. You know, I don't think a lot of people are starting to say Saban is on his way out. This is the end of a run for Saban. I don't necessarily see that. That's still a loaded roster. So that's kind of where we're talking about. This isn't even though Tua's not there, even though Alabama's maybe a touchdown this year, that's still a great team over there. So Michigan's going to have to play their best game. And I'm still on the side. I, I said, I've said on this podcast or wherever else before, player wants to sit out a bowl game. That's his choice. It's his career. It's his life. It's his, it's his choice to make, not mine, not a fan who wants to see him out there in a bowl game. You know. So if a player wants to do that, I'm not going to be mad about it. But if there is a game – for a guy, even say like Shea Patterson, if he's going to try and go pro, or some of these receivers that might go pro, or guys like Josh Uche on the defensive line, if there's a, a way for some of these players, one last game to put on tape for some NFL scouts, it's against Alabama. You know, go out there and show out and put out, have Shea Patterson go out there like Tom Brady did when, when he played Alabama in his last game in a Michigan uniform, throw four touchdown passes, throw for 400 yards. Put a, put a game on tape for NFL scouts. This is the way to do it. Yeah. you got to admit, though, that, you know, again, I'm always the old guy saying the old days, but, you know, you didn't have the college football playoffs in those days. And bowl games, 
maybe they maybe they were exhibition games just like they are now, but they seem to mean more. You know, you never had the players sitting out games back then. But I I I hundred percent agree with you. I don't blame them nowadays the way it's set up, and I think. We're going to, in this podcast, talk more about the college football playoffs, maybe some changes that we might want to see made. But, uh, yeah, I I just love that matchup all the way. Now, is there anything else we want to talk about in the Michigan-Alabama game before we move on to maybe uh, just a little bit of Michigan State talk? Just before Jared jumps in, this is a good chance to maybe read a a comment we had on our Facebook page. Okay. We made a post about the Michigan-Michigan State Bowl game. So I was just going to read a, a listener commented, uh, Jordan Thompson. He said, incredible storylines with Gaddis coming from Bama, Najee Harris coming down between Michigan and Bama, Dax Hill's recruitment, picking Michigan after verbally committing to Bama, Saban versus Harbaugh, be a nice way for Shea to finish on a high note and catapult us into next year, because next year is always our year, right? Wonder who the favorite is with Bama having their backup QB. Should be fun. And then he said about Michigan State, Michigan State gets scheduled what everyone thought was a real Wake Forest team for a majority of the year. Incredibly intrigued to see how that game plays out. No idea who has the upper hand because the ACC is so bad. Should be a fun bowl season for the state of Michigan. So, you know, a couple of good points there. But, yeah, I mean, Michigan State, Wake Forest, like he said, was looked at as a solid team all year. So good chance for Michigan State to – to get above 500. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you guys this question. I'll throw this in there also since he was talking about Michigan and Michigan State. All our Division One college teams bowl action this year. How, how about that? Yeah, that's good. I mean, I'm looking forward to watching Eastern Michigan in the Crooked Lanes Bowl. Yeah. As for the Michigan-Alabama, Michigan, Alabama is actually favored by seven uh, when the line first dropped on Action Network. And are, is anyone else kind of worried if we remember Michigan State has played Alabama twice? over the last 10 years, both times, just we, completely embarrassed. We remember. And we, we, all, we all loved it. We all loved it. There's no there's no denying that. Is it about time that we kind of get a taste of our own medicine? Are we worried about that at all? Can things get any worse for us than where we're at right now? <laughs> well, I am worried about that. <laughs> you know, Alabama missing out on the playoffs, losing their last game, you know, not in the SEC championship. I mean, if Saban's still got the fire, man, they're going to be ready to go. I mean, I don't – I don't necessarily see a blowout like what happened against Michigan-Wisconsin this year, you know, or like the Alabama-Michigan State games that you're talking about. Just because I, I think Michigan, I maybe it's me being hopeful, but I think they're really going to be up for this game and be out to prove some, especially guys like Shea Patterson, some of these guys going potentially going to the NFL draft. They're going to want to play their best game that they've ever played, you know. Harbaugh knows if he gets whooped by Nick Saban now, it's just going to add to that long list of things he hasn't been able to do. Now, we know some players on both teams probably aren't going to be suited up, right, for the NFL thing. Have you heard any word on anybody right at this point going to set it out? Well, I, couple, haven't I, mean, I haven't seen anything about any Michigan players that even like Josh Uche said he was gonna he's going pro, but he said he's going to play in the bowl game and in the receivers, you know, like Nico Collins and Peoples Jones. They haven't said anything. So I mean, right now it seems like Michigan is all hands on deck. But uh, Najee Harris, that like like our listener said, Najee Harris sounds like he might sit out the running back for Alabama. Oh, shame. Uh, Jerry Judy, one of their like ridiculously stud receivers, sounds like he might sit out and get ready for the draft. Obviously, they're already missing Tua, so yeah, you know they might be down a couple skill players, which which helps Michigan. But you know what's funny is here at work at SEC Network, it is like people are hedging their bets already, kind of like what Jared was kind of saying about a win-win for Michigan. Mm-hmm. Like some of these SEC fans are like hedging their bets. Like I said, they're saying like 
just another way for, for Harbaugh to be disappointed, to show that Harbaugh's overrated, that, you know, Nick Saban's going to run over him, 38 nothing, you know, whatever, like saying that. But then they're also saying, yeah, but if Michigan wins, eh, it doesn't mean anything to Alabama. They're not in the college football playoff. Guys are sitting out, so it doesn't mean anything anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> Both sides know, of the I, fence. Personally, I think it would mean a lot for Michigan to win this game. Absolutely. Hey, listen, it's the smart strategy, man. I, and I would suggest you guys as Michigan fans adopt what I'm thinking as well. It's a win-win. You get blown out, we find out who we are. If we win, we just beat Alabama. It's the way to do it. You never lose when you do it when you view it that way. But as for Michigan State and Wake Forest, talk about just the ultimate consolation prize from a poor season. I think it's playing in the pinstripe bowl. I've always thought that that was one of the coolest bowl games. For those that don't know, it's played at New York Yankees Stadium. I just think that that's an awesome game, and like Jordan Thompson said, it's going to be a good matchup between Wake Forest, and if there's a program that finds a way to make these little pointless bowl games matter, it's Mark Antonio Michigan State. So I, I am actually excited to watch this game. Yeah, I was going to ask your opinion on that. You know, the the storm's kind of quieted over in East Lansing. You know, the way they finished the season, making it to a bowl game. You know, they could finish with a winning season here, and, you know, we know there's going to be changes made for sure. If indeed D'Antonio sticks around, now that's what he said. I guess we got to take him for his word that he'll be back next year. But I, you know, things can also change. But uh, uh, with a win against Wake Forest and you know enjoying New York City for a week, I mean, they're going to be able to make a step in the right direction. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if this, if a win over Wake Forest would all of a sudden like start flipping some recruits or something like that. It definitely will, like, whatever you want to say, like, good juju going into next season, you know, being 7-6 and six, as opposed to 6-7. and Because, I mean, you know, you go to a bowl game at 6-6, six and six, it does kind of feel like, I mean, like a consolation prize almost, like you said, Jared. And But if you lose that game and drop to 6-7, and seven, especially right. to a Wake Forest team that's, not, you know, in a pretty bad conference, I don't know. I think a loss would hurt them more than a win would help them, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Am I the only one that thinks that a game played at Yankee Stadium should be one of the – like this is the this is where Michigan should be playing this game, not the Michigan State team that barely snuck into the Bulls. I think it's just, it's just one of my favorite Bulls. It's just such a cool visual watching them play at Yankee Stadium. I just – I don't understand why it's one of the lesser Bulls. Uh, am I, am I one reason, weather. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think if – if you want a marquee matchup, you know, like a Michigan-Alabama, you don't want a, the threat of some awful New York weather. A blizzard, even. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, then if I'm one of them players, I probably would agree. Just get me to Florida. I don't care if we play in a high school stadium. I'd rather be in Florida than playing in New York at this time of year. I probably That's a good point. How do we view – Do we did we agree with kind of the college football playoff, how it shook out with LSU ended up being the number one seed and Oklahoma getting it as the number four? I mean, I, I definitely agree with Oklahoma being at four. I do, maybe because I've watched a lot of LSU this year and Ohio State, I do still personally think Ohio State is better than LSU, but that's almost like a flip-the-coin type of thing. Both of those teams are ridiculous. I think the main thing is you didn't want them playing in the first round because you know that, that more seems like the championship matchup you might want. But that Clemson-Ohio State game is going to be awesome too. So, I don't know, those are some fun matchups. Well, that's where the debate is, right? Because uh... – you want that number one seed to play Oklahoma. Obviously, they're the easiest out of the four, at least on paper. But, yeah. the, but I do agree with you. The Ohio State-Clemson game in the semifinals, that's just an awesome matchup. And we'll see. You know, Dabo's been running his mouth, and I know they're damn good And what they put up 62 in that last game. But uh, let's see what they can do against a real team. Yeah, I'm going to throw – I'm more excited for this college football playoff than I have been for all of the college football playoffs of, of, of the past. 
because you have LSU, who somehow has looked great in every single game they've played. You have Clemson as the number three seed who hasn't lost a game or won a game by less than 30 since they played North Carolina like week three. And then you have Ohio State, who Joel Klatt and Colin Cowher are saying is the best college football team of all time. And yet they're the number two seed. I just think it's going to – and then you have Jalen Hurts, the story with Jalen Hurts, the revenge tour. Yeah. I just think that it's it's going to shape up to be one of the best college football playoffs uh, that I've seen, that we've all seen since it started back in 2014. I don't think we can argue uh, the four teams they got, right? That was kind of the first time really it was a no-brainer that there is not a lot of debate. If you're going to have a four-team playoff, they pretty much got it right. Yeah, that, that was something I was going to ask uh, our guest Reggie when he comes on in a little bit, kind of about that. You know, we we've all said that we think an expansion of the playoffs would be fun or you know good, whatever. But this, yeah, like you said, Ted, this is a year that so the next four are Georgia, Oregon, Baylor, Wisconsin, and those four teams right there seem like they're definitely below the four who made the playoff. So. The four that are in are definitely the four best teams this year. Now, I have an idea on this is Ted's uh, playoff picture for this year. You want me to save it or you want me to bring it on the table no, right th- now? Throw it out because I can't wait to shut it down because I have a feeling I'm going to be on the opposite. <laughs> well, I'm sure you will be opposite, but here's my thought. I've, I've given this some serious thought. And, you know, I could be standard and go, yeah, we'll expand it to eight teams. Or I could say, well, let's expand it to 16 teams. But my thought process is expand it to 12. You get the top four seeds buys in week one. So they get a reward for being in the top four. And then you you have the others, you know, like, for example, number one LSU would play the winner of Wisconsin and Florida. And, vice, you know, and you just go down the list. My initial thought right now is I'd love to see it go to a 12-team playoff, and you still could complete it in four weeks, start on December 14th, and have the championship game just like you are on January 7th thoughts no it's horrible nothing is worse (laughs) than the nfl playoffs and they have 12 teams do you really i mean do we really need to see notre dame play another game notre dame wouldn't make it what what expanding it to 12 what it would do notre dame wouldn't make it well i I don't know who's the 12 well listen to the teams you got wisconsin florida georgia auburn baylor and penn state and then oregon and utah Plus the four teams. Do we need that are to in. see Utah? Do well, we need to see Utah? Well, why not? Is, Eleven and two, packed. No, no, packed twelve. Because then that this that would make basically the entire college football season pointless. No, Alabama losing. Alabama losing really doesn't matter. Michigan would probably been have been able to find a way to sneak in. If, if it was twelve teams, Michigan's brand they probably get in every. Yeah, year. but here's the and counterpoint. Let me give you no, a counterpoint. The, no, the, what makes college football so good is that every single Saturday. Feels it's like a, almost a Super Bowl in a sense. It, it matters. You can't lose these games. Where if you expand it to twelve for just pointless teams to get in, it loses that luster. The Georgia versus LSU game that was just played this last weekend doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. No, it does matter. There's still you'd have twelve teams playing for a national championship, just like March Madness. And on top of that, we've all talked about it and we've seen the trend. Bowl games they don't mean squat. They're TV money, and that's all you got. How many bowl games you gonna I mean, whole, maybe you're different. You're going to sit down and watch all the bowl games. I certainly no, won't. But the whole regular season counts. We we can't stop watching the whole every single regular season Saturday. All three of us are propped in front of a couch, and we can't take our eyes off of it. I'm fine with having a poor bowl season if that means I get 14 weeks out of the year where it's must-watch TV. It's not like that in any other sport. No other sport is like that. Not NFL, nothing. Okay. Well, we disagree uh, I, on that for sure. I definitely get what Jared's saying. You know that that's always the like the line, the narrative that everyone throws out. 
in college football, that's what makes it great. Every week matters. But that, that's only true to an extent because people were even saying before the SEC championship game that LSU was in regardless of if they won that game or not. So, you know, you can get in with one loss. You could potentially even get in with two losses if certain things shook out the way. If, if Georgia would have won, you know, there would have been multiple one-loss teams in the college football playoff because them and LSU would have been in. So, you know, I get like that, the cliche, every week matters, but that's not necessarily true because Oklahoma's in with one loss. So that Saturday they lost, that, that game didn't really matter, I guess, because they're in the college football playoff. But I definitely think that an expansion would be good. I, 12, I, that's interesting. I, I like what you're saying. I just think that most years past eight, maybe nine teams, there's a clear drop-off. You know, like this year we kind of said maybe after four there, there's definitely a drop-off. But usually like the next four, usually one through eight, you can, you can make a case that those teams could play each other for a fun tournament. But, you know, yeah, like Auburn being at 12, Utah even being at 11, I think, I mean, yeah, like you said, Jared, Michigan's right on the outside, so there's some years that they would slip in when they definitely shouldn't probably be in the in the tournament. But, you know, it would be fun to expand, like you said, to your point, Ted, just because all these other meaningless bowl games, why not make some of these games mean more? And if anything, too, I think an expanded playoff prepares these guys for an NFL schedule a little more than what, you know, just one more bowl game does. Well, the way I, would, the way I looked at it was, I mean, you'd have 11 meaningful games playing for that top prize. That's where I'm this, coming from. This is what I think it would be. That first year, if this, if this did happen, that first year we'd be like kids in Willy Wonka's candy store or factory. We would be eating all the candy. We'd love it. But then after being there for a few hours, we're like, this, this candy's kind of gross. We want to get out of here. I may have used that uh, comparison because I just watched the 1971 uh, Willy Wonka or Charlie and the Chocolate or <laughs> Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Pretty good movie, actually, surprisingly. But that's what we would be like. At first, it'd be cool. The first year, it'd be cool. But then we'd realize, oh, we just kind of ruined our favorite sport in the world. Hmm. I'm fine. Just leave college football the way it is. It's perfect. I love it disagree but that's why sports is great that, that's the thing that's what's funny hearing it from his generation because you know now he's used to the college football playoff just like we are but what i would be curious what were you saying ted back in whatever like 98 when the bcs was coming around were you on board when the new computer system the bcs came around i wasn't overly enthused with that whole format either <laughs> no I, here's here's my point guys and it's, it's just this simple i don't put all my baskets into the regular season Every sport I watch, it's about the playoffs, whether it be Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL. It's it's all about the playoffs. Yeah, the regular season's there, and I don't think it's going to be watered down that much because you still have to get a certain amount of wins to make it to the college football playoffs. I don't know. But I, Michigan loses two games every year. It, like It's pretty much they lose two games every year. They be in every year pretty much. Is that a, is that a problem? Yeah, because they don't just – it's like with the Lions. When they finally win the championship, it's it's not the chase. If you're just given the playoff every year and you don't really have to work for it, I don't think it's it's as cool. Well, what's the greatest – what, to the top four. What's the greatest sporting event that you would that you would say, Jared, number one sporting event there is? March Madness. Absolutely. Well, like, Why is March general, Madness like, so watching? popular? One and out. It's a tournament to decide who's going to be the national champion, not the team that went undefeated in the regular season. But there isn't going to be those upsets like there is in that in why? March Madness. Why, why be, is that? Because it's football. Alabama, you think, really think Alabama's going to get upset by Utah? 
do you think like LSU is really going to lose to Utah? No, they're going to beat them by thirty. Uh, on just... paper, correct. On paper, correct. But you are you telling me in your young life you haven't seen major upsets in college football like Appalachian State beating Michigan? One time. It happens though. Happen. It does happen. happen every year in college basketball. But the whole idea of a playoff is interest. Every, you know, I'd be more interested in seeing more teams playing for something on the line than going to the Weed Eater Bowl. I mean, that's just the way I look at it. The there's, there's, there's a big difference too because there's just so many more college basketball teams and there's so many more games. Yeah, like, true. You know, it's not an apples to apples comparison with the March Madness and the college football playoff. But uh, to your point, yeah, March Madness is incredible. It, there is almost get to a point that maybe they, they need to stop expanding March Madness, even with all these playoff or the, the play-in games. Right. There's some teams making the tournament that aren't very good. So that's, I think, where just, you know, my opinion, I think eight is like the bread and butter number because once you do start going past eight, that's where there is a clear drop-off. And like this year you'd have, yeah, you'd have some teams making the college football playoff that really probably don't deserve to be in there. But you know, at my point when I brought up the BCS was like, you know, at the time people complained about the BCS maybe because, you know, the old school people maybe didn't want a computer system coming in, changing it up or whatever. But then, you know, eventually you got used to it. But there were still people complaining about it. Okay, here's the playoff. This is, you know, to fix that. And now people are complaining about it. So if we expanded it, yeah, they would, people would be happy about it for a little while, but then people would still be complaining about it or whatever. So. You know, I, I just think a playoff system does seem like the best way to figure out who's the best team in the country, not a computer system or like in 97 when Michigan split the championship right. with Nebraska. Well, this is our podcast at its best with a, a solid three different opinions I, on this. I mean, do we ever feel like we haven't had the, the true champion crown at the end of every year? Like that, like this guy was clear, this team was clear in a way, the best team in the country. I have never argued that with the college football playoff. Right. I think it's doing its job. And I would say this, do you do we really want to see a selection Sunday where after Utah gets drubbed 37 to 15 to Oregon or after Georgia gets drubbed 37 to 10 to LSU the the shot of them clapping about getting into the playoff, them nonchalantly clapping like wow, we made it. Do we really want that? I think what one thing it would do is it would create certain matchups that like maybe you don't usually see like think about one of the best college football games that like ever that people talk about is when Boise State beat Oklahoma right over like 10 years ago you know when Boise State statue was of Liberty. on the up and up and they did that whole Statue of Liberty play two-point conversion at the end to win it those would be some of the matchups you would get you would maybe get a Utah versus LSU or something like that or like a Baylor versus Ohio State so that's where some of those matchups would come in. Or like a couple of years ago when Western Michigan ran the table, you know, maybe they would have snuck in and that would have been their chance to like have a Boise State type uh, upset. But, you know, you're never going to have that with four teams. Right. No, you're not. It's just I worry. I mean, we all love our college football, and I've said it on here before. I just worry about it. Anything, any sort of changes to it. It's like my baby. I'm, I'm worried about anything happening to it. And I feel like it's just good the way it is. People were worried about the playoff starting, and like you said, it it seems like the playoff has gone well. Yeah. You know they're going to go – they're going to expand it. Now, they may not go to my extreme, but they're going to expand it. I think eight is the the next – I just don't – I don't want to see a a year where there's buys. Okay. Because then we really don't get that many more games, and – I don't think that I don't I don't like the way the NFL playoffs are structured either. Yeah. I, I would just rather see the good teams play. Okay. Uh, but, well, one thing before we maybe move on uh, from the college football, is there any other bowls that you guys are looking forward to, just in general outside the college football playoff, outside Michigan, Michigan State? Because I personally can't wait to watch the, 
the out, uh, the Outback Bowl. As, as wild as that sounds, Minnesota, P.J. Fleck versus Gus Malzahn and Auburn. I think that's going to be a great game on January 1st. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. That's going to be a good one to see. You know, that's a good matchup for uh, P.J. Fleck in Minnesota because they, they actually were in college football playoff discussions, so they could make a statement against Auburn, too. Hey, Rose Bowl's not going to be too bad either, Oregon and Wisconsin. Nope. No, the Rose Bowl is good. It doesn't matter who's who plays. That's that right. I do wish that it was a part of the college football playoff, like every single year. I feel like it should be. Yeah. Um, but one more bowl that I, you guys know, I love it, and that's the December twenty fourth, the Hawaii Bowl. <laughs> and that's just because I can't ever sleep on Christmas night. So usually around two a.m., I will watch the rerun of that game. And, that, and this year it is BYU versus Hawaii. So looking forward to watching that one. <laughs> Fire, baby. <laughs> Rainbow Warriors. <laughs> yep. Well, I think we're going to have some more uh, college football talk, guys. Do you think it's time to maybe uh, dial in to our special guest? May as well. Bring him on. All right, Reggie Walker coming up next. But uh, i got to remind you about some good folks over at Advanced Elevator Company. They feature top expert field technicians for installation, troubleshooting, and repair of elevators, an area business leader and longtime supporter of the Corona Public Schools and a proud partner of Three Point Podcast. And speaking of Corona, the CoronaConnection.com knows it's great to be gold. Keep up to date on Cavalier Nation at CoronaConnection.com. All right, so you guys already heard most of what we have to say about the college football playoff, specifically Michigan and Michigan State for the most part, but we're going to bring our friend Reggie on. We've had him on a bunch of times talking college basketball, college football, but we're bringing him on this time to talk about the college football playoff. Follow him on Twitter, at rwalk13. So we got Reggie. How's it going, man? Uh, It's going great. It's that time of year, championship time. Uh, Let's go get it. Bowl season's almost here, too. I love this. So, yeah, just, I mean, to start it off right there, I, we kind of talked about it already, the top four, the college football playoff. We, we don't think there's really any disagreement with the four that made it in. How do you feel about, I guess, the top four, the seeding, and the matchups? Well, I, I'll say this. I think it depends on how you look at it from a seeding standpoint. Um, I've, I've thought all season that Ohio State is the most complete team in college football. Uh, I realize that LSU uh, theoretically has a stronger resume in terms of who they've played throughout the season, and the respect for the SEC comes with that. So I'm fine with LSU being the one and and Ohio State being the two. If it were me, I would have had Ohio State at one and LSU at two, but that's just kind of how I look at it uh, from that standpoint of straight eye test. I think that would have been my mindset, but the committee has all of these factors and all of these things that they look at and criteria, uh, and I won't get into the fact that I can't stand the fact that we don't know how they apply all the criteria all the time to each team. That's a whole other discussion. But I think they got the four right. I thought going into championship weekend uh, that Utah was really um, a, a sitting duck, whether they won or not, no pun intended, with Oregon. Uh, but either way, I thought the Big 12 champion would leapfrog Utah no matter what because uh, you were looking at a Utah team. Yeah, they were sitting there at number five, uh, but they were playing number 13 Oregon, whereas number six Oklahoma was playing seven Baylor and so I thought that the committee would uh, give a lot more credence and respect to who they had at number seven obviously versus who they had at number 13 so I thought it was a perfect scenario uh, for the Big 12 champion to get in provided Georgia lost uh, which they did and and going into that game you felt for the Georgia coaching staff and the players uh, missing Cager the suspension to the other kid as well at the receiver spot. Jake Fromm was going in there with a butter knife in a gunfight, and that just wasn't going to get it done in the SEC championship in Atlanta. So 
uh, Georgia goes down, then Utah gets embarrassed on Friday night by by Oregon, and, and that just set it up for the Big 12 champion to get in. And, and I thought, uh, for once, the Oklahoma defense, yeah, they were at, at that late in the game, they were dealing with the number three quarterback for Baylor, but they still stepped up and made the plays, and that pass rush got after it uh, late in that ballgame. Do you think that Georgia regrets moving on from Justin Fields? I mean, you, you just got to see what he's doing at Ohio State. How do you not think, man, if we had him, we are in the college football playoff right now? Well, the first thing they're doing as a coaching staff when someone asks them that is, is the first thing they, that comes out of their mouth is, we, our offense is not designed for our quarterback to run around like that. Uh, so that's number one, the Georgia offense. And you can go back to when Mike Bobo was running it under Mark Rick and all the way back. They've been a play-action, drop-back passing offense with downhill running game with those backs. They'll let them get to the edge as well with some stretch plays. But generally speaking, it's a downhill running game. It's not a lot of zone read and RPO stuff involved in the Georgia offense. So from that standpoint, I think that's where the difference is. Justin Fields uh, is a great runner, and he's shown that uh, at Ohio State throughout the year. I'm not so sure he's as polished a passer in terms of sitting in the pocket and reading defenses the way that they may have wanted him to be at Georgia. So I think the first thing they'll tell you is the offense is different. Uh, Listen, is it easy to look back and say, man, if we kept that kid, we're this, we're that? Absolutely. Uh, But at the end of the day, I think the Georgia coaching staff, whether they believe it or not, uh, will tell you they don't regret the decision and, and that the offense is so different in terms of what Justin's doing at Ohio State versus what they ask you to do at Georgia, that they feel like it was probably uh, okay for him to go ahead and move on. We were talking about the college football playoff, and you know we've we've talked about expansion, and we probably talked to you about uh, college football playoff expansion last year around this time, and we were saying that this is maybe a year. Ted Ted has a, a kind of an off the wall, but you know it's kind of his plan to expand the the college football playoff. But I was saying this is maybe a year that. The teams after the top four, you can kind of see a drop-off. You know, Georgia, Oregon, Baylor, Wisconsin, they, they don't deserve to be in that top four because of the losses they have. But are you still on board? How do you feel about an expansion? Do you still think it should stay at four all the way up to 16, 12? Kind of where do you sit after, you know, seeing how things played out this year? This year or not, I'm okay with four. I My issue continues to be how the criteria is applied and who's got access. And and my issue with access is this. Uh, To me, you need to be some kind of a champion to play for the whole championship. I've always said that. Win your division, win your conference, win something before you tell me you deserve the right to play for a national championship. I I love the fact that the four teams in the college football playoff this year all won their league. However the league is laid out, it's fine. But you're some kind of a champion before you play for the whole thing. And even in the NFL, now granted, they have six teams, right, from each conference. But the four division winners are in. Regardless of if they're 6-10 and 10 or whatever the case may be, you won your division. That earns you an opportunity to play for the big title. To me, as long as the criteria includes that or if they add that, I'm okay keeping it at four. Now, most people would say, well, then that means somebody's automatically getting left out. That's fine. But my issue is when a team that's not even a division champion gets in over conference champions, I have a problem with that. And so to me, four is fine. 
or you close the, the window and make it only teams that have at least won a division in their conference in college football. And then I think the pool, at least you know the pool is of quality teams, and then you go from there. Well, let's ask you um, if on expansion. I mean, you're Nittany Lions. What they finished 10th, right? Correct. So they're just they would be just out if it was an eight-team playoff. My off-the-wall suggestion was a 12-team playoff with the top four teams playing for buys. Any any uh, thoughts on that? No, I think that could work. I mean, I think that would be a nice system. I think that I think the only issue with this with that concept is when you start playing the playoff games because you've got to they're still trying to stick to that calendar in January with where the national championship falls. So a lot of it is timing, but I don't have a problem. I think 12 would be okay. Um, listen, anytime you can add more teams playing for the big chip uh, and add more college football, sign me up. And at the same time, I think the key is the timing. I've said before, if they went to eight, which I would be okay with as well, if they go to eight, you could do it to where you host campus sites two weeks after conference championships. So in, in, in the particular case of 2019, that would be December 21st. And then everybody's off for New Year's, or for Christmas and New Year's, well, New Year's Eve, and then you play those games New Year's Eve, the, the four, again, as, you are, as it's set up right now, or New Year's Day, and then you play the championship in the same window. So the time frame works out if you go to eight. Twelve gets a little more tricky in terms of when you play those games, but I would say as long as you can allow uh, – I like the concept of maybe playing those games two weeks apart uh, because it allows for everybody to be at optimal health in terms of their rosters and their players. Uh, but at the end of the day, listen, more college football is always great. I think the devil is in the details and how you actually lay out the schedule for 12 teams. But listen, if someone has a, a good plan for 12, uh, sign me up. I'll, I'll love more college football. The problem with – that concept versus what I was talking about earlier is you put yourself in a spot where you're going to have 10 teams because in theory you would take probably the 10 division winners uh, from the Power 5 conferences, but that actually cuts it down to nine because the Big 12 doesn't have divisions. So now you're trying to find the other three teams. Those could be group of five teams, and maybe, maybe you find the best two group of five conference champions and Notre Dame in that scenario, that may work as well. I don't think that most people would have a problem with that, but I think at the end of the day, it's the timing of when those games are played. Are you proud of this Penn State team for having a berth in the Cotton Bowl when, if we're being honest, if you guys happened to have played Michigan a week later, you would have lost and you would be in the Outback Bowl? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, listen, <laughs> I, I think I, I've always said this when it, when it comes to the program and James Franklin. In a given year, I expect him – to win all the non-conference games, win the conference games outside of Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. And every year I need him to win at least one. If we get two, I'm happy. If we get three, we're playing for a national championship. Now the hiccup in that this year was losing on the road at Minnesota. I don't think most people thought Minnesota was that good going into the season. I thought they'd be a bowl team. I thought they'd be an eight-win team. I didn't think they'd be a ten-win team. I thought Penn State could go into Minnesota and beat that football team on the road. That did not happen. From that standpoint, I was not happy. But as a whole, a 10-2 and season, another 10-win season for James Franklin, I wouldn't consider it a disappointment. Uh, would, would I have wanted him to, to go 12-0? Absolutely. 
any fan wants their team to go 12 and 0 with 13, 14, whatever it is, and oh, but at the end of the day, uh, losing on the road to Ohio State when at one point it looked like they could get blown out, which by the way, I told plenty of people beforehand when we saw the spread was 18 and a half. I told everybody to lay big money on Penn State. I'm not a gambler, but I told them to lay money on Penn State. That margin would not be that wide. I was correct in that assertion going in. And then the, the and as I mentioned, playing on the road at Minnesota, tough. They, we took an L. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think most coaches would tell you, hey, coach, are you okay going 7-0 or 8-0 at home? And then if you drop a couple of games, they're both on the road to, to – top 15 teams, I think most coaches would tell you they'll take that. I think most realistic fan bases would tell you that's a pretty good year. Uh, Me being realistic and remembering how hard it was to play in the horseshoe, play on the road uh, at a place like the Big House, those are difficult places to play. So to go in those games and lose, yes, you're disappointed, but you understand how difficult it is. I would say the same thing to Michigan fans. Listen, that team caught fire later in the year. But it is not a negative thing to go into Happy Valley, go into State College on a whiteout at night in that environment and drop a football game, and that's one of only a couple of games you lost throughout the regular season. I said before, and you and we talked about it earlier this year, this is a Michigan football team. Yeah, people are upset that uh, Jim Harbaugh hasn't consistently or actually at all beaten Ohio State. But if that's the only issue – that program is not in that much trouble. I think Jim Harbaugh may be getting a label as a builder as opposed to a closer. But at the end of the day, not to be disrespectful to Michigan fans because a lot of people are screaming win a national championship. But aside from the, the Charles Woodson year 1997, that's a program that hasn't won a national championship since 1948. <laughs> so I think sometimes people have to calm down with the expectations. I say the same thing about Penn State. Joe Paterno was the head coach at Penn State for 40-plus years. Joe Paterno has two national championships. It's not like he has six national titles. So I think from a fan base standpoint, sometimes we look at history and tradition and we miss the facts that are in there. No, I, I think you you are spot on in exactly what you're saying, and we've talked about it, obviously, as Michigan fans, you know, basically all season. And we've said that maybe we were the ones that were – guilty of having unrealistic expectations when Harbaugh came in, you know, the excitement around Harbaugh coming and turning the program around, and he definitely has turned the program around. He just hasn't been able to beat Ohio State, which not many teams have been able to beat Ohio State since basically 2004. They've been on a historic run, but speaking of Franklin, is, is that kind of where you stand? Do you, do you put James Franklin and kind of Jim Harbaugh maybe at the same level right now, just a tick below Ohio State? Because Franklin has a lot of the same negative records, the road record against ranked teams and some of those other ones. He just does have that one win against Ohio State and that one Big Ten championship. Do you think that's keeping a lot of the heat off of Franklin as opposed to the heat that Harbaugh's getting? I think it is, and I think it should be. I mean, I I think there's two pieces to this. And and when you look at Penn State, and maybe I'm going to sound like an apologist or an excuse maker because I played football there, but when James Franklin took over, he was devoid of – 85 scholarships for two years. Mm. So the first two years, yeah, he went 0-4 against Ohio State uh, and Michigan. I didn't expect him to win those games. Now, in the last few years, he's 3-5. He's beaten Ohio State once and gotten Michigan twice, lost the others. So when you start to do the math, and then you got to remember the third year he was there, he had just gotten the scholarships back. So I kind of look at those first three years and say, what did we really expect him to do? 
in terms of competing with Ohio State and Michigan. Now, from an Ohio State standpoint, listen, right now, uh, and what Urban Meyer left behind for Ryan Day, they're just dominating people in college football. One thing you have to admit is just Ohio State's really, really good right now. Um, And so they are a step above Penn State and Michigan right now in that conference. And even though P.J. Fleck is pushing his way up and Wisconsin is kind of what they've always been, they rise up every three or four years. Iowa's still the same thing. It makes the conference tougher, but I would ask anybody, even Ohio State fans, and they're living high on the hog right now because they're winning, but you you can't tell me that an Ohio State fan is going to be consistently upset if all of a sudden down the stretch in the next three or four years, Ryan Day struggles with either beating Jim Harbaugh or Mark D'Antonio, because I'm not counting him out. He's still a good football coach. they got a lot of issues going on around that program right now. But from an X and O standpoint, D'Antonio is still a really good football coach. And then James Franklin, to ask someone to consistently beat those three coaches in the division every year, I think is asking a lot. Now you add Greg Schiano. say what you want about Rutgers. You add Greg Schiano back in that mix. They may not be what they were when he was there the first time, but he's a good football coach that understands X's and O's, and he can draw it up with the best of them. So you start to look at the Big Ten East. I would ask people consistently and wholeheartedly. Now, the SEC West is kind of turning over right now a little bit, but I would ask people before some of the changes were made in the SEC West this year, what division in college football from top to bottom has the best group of coaches? I would argue that the Big Ten East – can be considered in that conversation. Yeah, I think it's hard to, when you list those names right there, it's hard to argue that. And you brought up the SEC West, and maybe we can get you out of here on this question unless the other guys have something else. But we can't let you go without asking about our Michigan Wolverines and their matchup with Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. So we kind of talked about it. We said, you know, basically said it's like a win-win for Michigan. Get your guys up. Beat Alabama, even if Alabama's a, a touchdown this year, you know, with Tua being out and some other stuff going on. But either way you look at it, a win for Harbaugh against Saban and Michigan against Alabama would be huge. You think Michigan has a shot? You have to play their best game? What do you kind of see in that bowl? I, I do think Michigan has a shot. Unfortunately, I'm going to slightly disagree with you. I think it's a no win for Michigan. If they lose, everybody says, see, that's the SEC dominance. If they win, everybody says, well, Alabama was disappointed. They didn't have Tua. They didn't want to be there. We've seen all those narratives. Uh, But I think as a whole, if Michigan can beat this Alabama football team, which I think they can, I think if if they're able to get the running game going, there are young linebackers at Alabama that can be susceptible to the play-action passing game. And that's what Michigan's going to have to do with Shea Patterson. I don't think he can just stand back there in obvious passing situations and beat this Alabama team because the secondary is coached by Nick Saban. Those guys are going to be locked in in the back end. But if you can go with some play action and hit them over the middle with some intermediate passing uh, situations and pass plays and then allow those receivers in black and Donovan Peoples-Jones and those guys to just start running around with the football behind the linebackers – then you've got an opportunity, I think, uh, to beat this Alabama football team. The other thing, I like Michigan's group up front in terms of rushing the passer. Mac Jones does not move around uh, the way that Tua could. So if they can get some consistent pass rush and they're able to get home with four against a, a not as dominant Alabama offensive line that we've seen, if you can get the pass rush there quickly and not let Mac Jones get those receivers, 
opportunity. On the flip side, if Mac Jones gets the ball out quick, I'm just you better pray for rain because those receivers at Alabama, Michigan just does not have the ability at the cornerback positions and in the secondary to play against those guys one-on-one, especially in space. So you have to get home early in terms of slowing Mac Jones down in that passing game because if he's able to stand back there and read the defense and pick his spots, look out, Alabama's going to score a lot of points. Awesome stuff as always, Reggie. I mean, you break it down, and uh, I like the fact that you almost agreed with me on the 12-team playoff, so even more kudos to you on that. (laughs) Hey, more football. I'm all in, baby. Amen, brother. Now tell us a little bit more about how our uh, listeners can follow you, and I know you're doing some college football analyst work. Uh, Bring us up to date on Reggie. Yeah, catch me on Twitter, uh, at rwalk13, at rwalk13. Also, check out my Instagram. Uh, I love to cook as well. Ah. Uh, So check out the Instagram, r underscore walk13, r underscore walk13. Coming up, I've got, on December 21st, uh, Charlotte is doing a new uh, high school kind of all-star game, the Queen City Senior Bowl. So I'll be doing that. Check that out on ESPN3 on December 21st. That kick is at high noon. And then uh, moving forward to the fall, uh, as of right now, it looks like I'll be back doing um, Charlotte 49ers for ESPN Plus and then uh, Gardner-Webb football for, uh, for radio uh, at the FCS level. So staying busy, always uh, enjoying the college football life. And uh, also give me a listen uh, Monday mornings during football season. I'm on ESPN 730 The Game here in Charlotte talking college football. So that's, that's kind of where I am. That hits at 7 a.m. You're doing it right, man. You're on the hustle. That's yeah. what it's all about. Absolutely. So I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. See you, Reggie. Well, great stuff by Reggie, as always, and uh, look forward to catching up with him. A lot of sources there to check out for sure. And, uh, you know, it's a good deal. He's in sports broadcasting, and everybody is looking for a great deal, right? Well, go online at SheridanAuctionService.com for info on upcoming auctions. The auction house is packed with all kinds of great items. Stay up to date by checking their website at SheridanAuctionService.com and sign up for their email notifications or call Troy Crow at 989-720-SELL for other details. And also, speaking of some fun, we're going to have some fun with the college football playoffs and bowl games. Well, head on over to Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official sports bar three-point podcast. Weekends are really hot. Cheer on the Spartans, the Wolverines, Lions, Red Wings, Pistons. Check out the bowl games, the NFL playoffs coming up. It's going to be awesome. Over 20 high-def TVs, great food and drink, Rivals Tap House and Grill in Corona. And also, when you're over at Rivals, Maybe check out a little Big Ten basketball. You know, Michigan and Michigan State, we haven't had a chance to talk much about them, but uh, Wolverines picking up a big tournament championship. Before we talk Spartans, let's talk a little Wolverines. What do you think with uh, Juwan Howard and his start? I mean, I don't think you can be anything but happy about this start that they've had. I mean, I think we all knew that they had experience coming get, coming back with guys like Simpson and Teske and Livers. So they were going to have the experience, but it was always about, you know, how was Juwan going to be as a head coach? You know, he hadn't ever been a head coach. But I think we, we had Adam Stenko on a while ago, maybe way back in the spring or something, and I remember him talking about Phil Martelli, and that's yep. who Juwan brought in to be as one of his assistant head coaches. And I think that's something that, that speaks volumes to the humility of Juwan Howard and bringing in a guy to help him head coach, help him get his career going, because I think there's stuff like that. And they even have, like, former NBA player Howard Isley on the staff. I think how, Juwan Howard has built a great staff around him is the point that I'm making, and you can see it. And, you know, they have, they have some tough games coming up. Obviously, conference play is coming up, so we'll see how good they really are. But you can't be anything but excited about what they're doing. 
No, they have exceeded expectations in, in my book. I mean, anything from now on for the rest of this regular season is just a cherry on top. I, with with everything they've done, the way they went into the battle for Atlantis, which, by the way, last two winners of the battle for Atlantis have won the national championship. So that's something we got to look for. We we have to look forward to toward March. They've been playing very well, and it's not like it's just one guy who's been playing, who's been kind of carrying them. It's a team effort, and that's what's kind of. It looks like a beeline team even though it's not John Beeline that's coaching them. And, and in, in regards to the Martelli hire, that's something that is kind of people don't talk about when they talk about good coaching. But another coach, like a Jim Harbaugh, I don't think he brings in a Martelli, somebody who he almost feels like could undermine him in any sort of the, in any way. So I feel like that's something that makes Juwan Howard a good coach where he doesn't care. He said, bring me the best guys, and I'm going to put together one of the best staffs in the country. And he's done that, and that's why they're playing so well. Yeah, and you can see that he really relates to the players well. It's very uh, cool watching him work the sidelines. You can see that he is at home, you know, coaching this team, his dream team, if you will. And, uh, boy, the recruits, they're definitely going to be paying attention to him. I just saw that Howard was down scouting. Uh, they were down in the Romulus, you know, scouting. Izzo was at a game, and uh, Jalen Rose was right there with Howard. Now, that's not a bad one-two combination to, to talk with the kids, is it? No. <laughs> And isn't it crazy how the thing that we, the big pro of hiring Juwan Howard was, hey, he's going to be a great recruiter. We haven't even been able to see that yet. We're right. just seeing how he coaches X's and O's, and, and it's been a pleasant surprise, the X's and O's side. So I'm excited when he finally gets his recruits in, yep. who are going to be the five-star guys that Beeline did not really go for. That's going to be awesome to see. And what what about uh, our friends over at East Lansing? You know, struggling a little bit here in the season. I think a lot of that can be pointed to Cassius Winston and obviously the tragic death of his brother. And, you know, his mind's not quite into it yet. But is there any concerns for uh, Sparty? I mean, personally, it's one of those things where we've watched Tom Izzo basically his whole career at Michigan State the whole time that Izzo's been there. And, you know, even the years that they have a couple early season losses, they do always seem to get it figured out come Big Ten play. I think it's one of those things, you know, they were preseason number one, maybe because of how they finished last year with Winston coming back. Maybe people didn't think enough about the loss of McQuaid and Kenny Goins, mm-hmm. how big they contributed to that Final Four team last year. And I think we're seeing that, you know, having leaders like that on last year's team, especially with Cassius Winston going through what he had to go through. You know, that that's a, a big, big loss for uh, – for that Spartans team, those two guys. So, you know, Xavier Tillman having to play a little more minutes and have to score more points and do a little more, maybe he's adjusting to that. But I think they're going to be fine come, you know, the Big Ten uh, conference play. Yeah, well, history shows that's probably going to be the case. It's going to be another fun college basketball season. I mean, it just rolls on and on, you know. We just get older, guys. It's unfortunately... I get much older. <laughs> now, hey, don't sell yourself short. You got a brand new hip. You're you're like a the Terminator now. Well, that, that's You've very true. A few years back. Well, what I need is I, I, you'll like this segue. I need some of that CGI they used in the Irishman to make those guys look younger. Uh, you know, we talked about it last week. My review of the Irishman, Jared. You had a chance to watch it. Uh, why don't you break it down? Let us know how you how you felt that uh, movie stood out. Review coming in one minute. I I can't believe you didn't let me get my two cents out about Michigan State basketball. Oh, sorry. That's, we, a, that's a tragedy. Sorry about that. <laughs> I do. I know every single season Michigan State struggles at the start of the year. It's pretty much it's it's like clockwork. It's because of who they schedule. It's because Izzo just kind of take. I think he takes a while to get his teams acclimated to each other and get them ready. But they are showing some problems that do seem to go past just early season troubles. I mean, they can't really shoot threes. They're not rebounding like past Izzo teams have. And, and like you said, Cassius Winston, 
he has the tragedy with his brother. I think that is playing a big part into this team. But I think the fact that they don't have three-point shooters around Cassius Winston really marginalizes what he can do. Now, are they probably going to end up winning the Big Ten? Yes. <laughs> but I do think that there are going to be some problems that we do see come March Madness when you know how important the three ball is when they're not able to shoot threes like, like with the rest of the teams in the country. So I do think that is a problem. As for the Irishman, I really I enjoyed it. I ended up, after the first 20 minutes was a bit of a slog, I was right in. It snatched me right up. I watched three three hours of it. I loved it. I will say this, though. I couldn't quite get over the De Niro, Robert De Niro is Irish, and Al Pacino, the most Italian guy maybe ever, is isn't Italian either. That personally kind of bothered me the whole movie. Along with that, there was a fight scene where Robert De Niro threw a guy out of a shop and then stomped on his hand, and you could just tell it was an 80-year-old guy trying to fight somebody, <laughs> which was just absurd that the fact that that was left in the movie. And the fact that you didn't mention that, Ted, shows me that you were watching this movie with Scorsese-colored glasses, where you weren't going to criticize a thing they did. Well, because that was the corniest scene I've ever seen in my life. To tell you the truth, I mean, being three and a half hours long, I maybe, I, maybe I blurred by that specific detail, but I will tell you this. I agree with you. I think it was a fantastic movie. And I'm going to watch it again, and then I'll pay a little closer attention to some of those details. You know, the one thing I didn't realize, uh, and I won't, no real spoiler alerts here, but, you know, um, uh, Stephen Van Zant, little Stephen from uh, the E Street Band, you know who he is? He was on The Sopranos. He was one of Tony's guys, Silvio. Yes. Yep. Well, I saw at the end of the movie, the, in the credits, he was in the movie, and I, I said to my wife, I go, gosh, which one was he? And do you know which one he was? No, I don't. I didn't know he was in it. Yeah, he was the he was the singer, the guy in the white tuxedo singing at the nightclub. I, I don't know if you noticed that. Don Rickles was the comedian. It was Jerry Vale, a famous uh, crooner from back in the days, but that's the part he played. Well, one more comment I do have on this was the bocce scene of them in prison at the very end <laughs> with Russell B- Buffalini, uh, which is Joe Pesci. Just an incredible scene. Same thing with the scene yep. where they're eating bread and juice. That's just heartbreaking. I feel like Joe Pesci kind of won the movie. He was the my favorite part of it. Because I don't like him in his other movies. I really don't. I don't like it when he's the boisterous guy who's yelling all the time. I like him in this role where he's quiet and he's just a good actor. So I really did appreciate that. Uh, but as far as this this ranks up with the rest of the kind of Scorsese and, and gangster movies... It, it's not. It's nowhere near the top of my list. I know it's number two on your list. Right. I think that's more because this was just the gang getting back together for you. That's it, part it of it. Didn't quite have that effect. Like I, I don't know who those actors would be. It'd probably be like if Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon all decided to make a movie in thirty years. I'd probably love it no matter what. It was a good movie. It wasn't nearly as good as you said it was. I don't think. All right. Well, and then the big question is: Matt going to dedicate three and a half hours to his in his life somewhere down the road? No. <laughs> There's the definitive answer. <laughs> I mean, if, if you guys would have sold it as, oh, my God, this is the best movie ever and everything like that, possibly. but Well, it just depends who you're going to gonna want to believe because I do it's, put it up there and Jared goes the other way. It's a good – it's 100% – I'm going to rewatch it. It's a great movie. I just don't think it was – Ted said it was basically the next Godfather, which it just isn't. It's just not. It's not as good as that. It's a little bit long. I know that Ted doesn't want to agree with that. It's a little bit long. You know what it is. I never disagreed with that. It's it's a little long, yeah, but I it's just more more to watch, you know? It's like a it's like a great event you don't ever want to end. <laughs> you never okay, one last thing, you never did comment on the Pacino. You just you that or not the Pacino, the De Niro fight scene. 
you just you just don't remember it? No, I remember it because it was when the the store owner dissed his daughter, right? Yes. Yeah, I remember it. I just don't remember seeing it as oh, geez, this an eighty year old guy pretending <laughs> to beat him up. I'll, I'll I'll rewatch that and then I'll give you a good comment. How's that? I think you might have had uh, some devil's lettuce in your blood that made you overlook that. <laughs> it might have been a trip <laughs> down. God. Might have been a trip down to Ann Arbor that day. You just never know. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap this thing up? You're saying you used to frequent the hash bash? Uh, I cannot confirm nor deny, but I'm well aware of it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> All right, guys, let's let's put this one in the can. It's been a lot of fun. I'll tell you what, we're all geeked up for college football and the playoffs. Maybe not so much for some of the uh, bowl games, but it is really good that Central, Eastern, and Western all get to go bowling. Central lost a heartbreaker last week in their conference championship game. I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch any of that, but uh, they gave a good effort for uh, Coach M over there. And uh, things are looking up in Central, but do you think he's even going to stick around? I wouldn't think so. I mean, maybe one more season, but it doesn't seem like that's his, you know, long-term place. I coach. I agree. All right. Yeah, I think he's I think he's gone. I unfortunately, and and I think I've said it on here before, but man, oh man, was I wrong. I thought he was going to be an absolute disaster at CBU. He's he's put it right in my face. Yeah, he turned it right around for sure. So, fire up chips. All right, guys, that'll do it for now. Follow, send your comments to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at 3 Point Pod. Subscribe, rate us on all the big podcasting sites, including Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Make sure you support our 3 Point Podcast partners, Advanced Elevator, Sheridan Realty and Auction Company, Rivals Tap House and Grill, The Corona Connection, Card Service Michiana, and ProMech Engineering. Also be sure to check out our network friends, Z92.5 The Castle and Sports Radio Detroit. Special thanks to Reggie Walker for joining us again, uh, helping us break down college football and uh, believe it or not fellas we got to come up with something good our next pod the century mark number 100 we got some good ideas on this one do we i think so i think it'll be a fun show but yeah that's crazy 100 already huh i mean how many times do we say how the heck did we get this far well, i think that every time we're about to record to be honest <laughs> <laughs> i think we all do <laughs> but you know uh, it's been a lot of fun we look forward to our 100th and many more. This has been a Sportsnet Michigan radio production recorded at the WJSZ studios in Owasso, Michigan. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Three Point Podcast. Somebody I can miss I